0: Hi, this is Kathy St. George. I like to talk about my body. I don't know about my work.
1: I try to do as little of that as possible. I make everyone else look beautiful. In fact, I'm really a man. You're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Saturday We will begin a mass invasion. We will tell your people to surrender now. And avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is
0: now time for us to put Earth under our rule.
1: It's your maker's duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you a witchcraft.
0: You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up.
1: Sci-Fi Saturday
0: Night. Welcome to another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The first podcast to guarantee that if you listen, you can hear stuff to help augment your auditory experience. Tonight, in episode 432, we look forward with great anticipation to listening to people talk. Because that's what we do. On board for tonight's talkcast sitting in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night gaming console and help desk uh, but clacking sonic screwdriver, violent audio so Kriana may or may not be actually listening because she's nursing a migraine tonight (laughs) okay And turkey baster to the stars, the man who's voraciously read every unattributed Stephen King book and a man who once met John Barrowman in an elevator and has refused to talk about it ever since, Captain Cam. Cam, how are you doing tonight?
2: I keep telling you, I'm I'm going to say nothing about my John Barrowman experience. You can keep asking, but it stays between me and the Barrowman. Yeah, I've heard (laughs) that about you, actually.
0: Joining us again is kind of a yearly thing at this point. Is Daniel LaBella, the man who in charge of the yeah. Film Festival. Uh, it's in its eighth season. A five-day event this year, beginning on Wednesday, March fourth, and ending on that Sunday, uh, March eighth. <laughs> for those of us who can and can't count, um, it's taking place at the Museum of the Moving Image in uh, New York City. Daniel, welcome back to Sci-Fi Saturday Night.
1: Thank you for having <laughs> me back.
0: Sounds like you're in the middle of a party. So we're
1: well, it's do- actually it's actually our uh, group over here that we're kind of getting a little boisterous, a little ahead of themselves. After all, it's, the, the festival is not happening until a week from now. But yeah, we're trying to get the word out and um, getting putting putting out some flyers and stuff like and promotional, uh, last minute promotional uh, kits out there. So. I guess that motivation is good
0: at this business. I, I suppose so. So this year, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you start, you're you starting on a Wednesday night.
2: Right, and right, you,
0: right. And you're starting with a huge feature presentation on Wednesday night. Uh, of A right. full-length movie called Imperial Blue. Um, right. Before, before we get into this, when we do, when the post goes up, uh, the listeners are going to be able to get... Uh, a full listing of everything that's in the show uh, and links of how to get tickets and the whole routine. So we didn't even have to worry about that. Um, I noticed that you're not doing anything in, in uh, on the West coast this year.
1: That's right. Well, last year was just like a, a one shot deal. It was not necessarily meant to be a, an annual event. Oh, I see. Um, well, most of our, most of our crowd is here in, in, in the East coast. And, uh, it, it, it's kind of it's difficult, as they say, it's difficult to serve two masters, you know. And uh, I, I figured we know our we know our New York crowd, uh, and um, we'd rather be here. Maybe every five years or so, we might head over to LA and and so forth. But uh, this has been our home base, and I'm very happy. Oh about yeah, it.
0: absolutely. Hey, seven of the eight years you've been in New York City, and that's right. Uh, that's right. And that well, doesn't he, include the times even. We're up on the whole thing there.
1: Sure. Well, even last year, we were here right. in two, two days, but most of the festival took place in, in the West Coast.
0: So this year, you're going to be completely in the city, and you're starting off uh, with a Wednesday night full feature, then a Thursday night uh, series of short films. You've got That's right. nine short films uh when now i've not been to the festival yet and again i won't be able to come this year because the timing is just horrifyingly bad but i swear to god next year i'm gonna make it
1: so you're
0: showing uh seven short films the shortest of which is i think seven minutes and the longest of which is 25 or or so Mm -hmm. and you're doing nine films in about a two hour slot there. So how do you run them? Do you take breaks in between each one or, or how does that work?
1: Uh no, there won't really be a break. Uh, I think the way it works, this particular block works is that uh it'll be about it's about an hour and forty minutes, maybe an hour and forty five, and then we'll have Q and A uh with uh following that. I mean people do sit through the two hour features, so I guess oh, yeah. an hour and forty Hour 45 may be a little bit uh, out of the norm, but I think the quality of the films was so outstanding this year um, that we really had to say, look, even if it's an extra two f- films, we'd rather program it. Um, due to the space limitations at the museum, we could only have a certain number of films uh, programmed. And well, it was an issue, and I think people wouldn't mind uh, because the quality is so outstanding. Each film is a gem. Uh, that they wouldn't mind having to sit for an extra few minutes because they'll be so riveted by the films. I think they will be very uh, happy.
0: Now, that's that's one of the things also that, that uh, you do really, really well. And that is usually at the end of each block or at the end of each feature, you do have a Q&A session. And I'll tell you where I really want to be is on, on the Saturday uh, afternoon uh, documentary uh, that uh, Dr. Ron Mallett did called "The Brief History of Time Travel." I mean, right. I, w- right. I would love to see the film. I've never seen the entire film, and I would also love to just hear him talk for a while. How did you? How did you decide that this this was the year for a documentary?
1: Well, actually, uh, as you know, I've had Dr. Mallett a, a couple of times before at a precedent mm-hmm. and uh, I always want to like to stay up. Today with his research and his story, and it so happens that I was approached by the filmmaker. She emailed me and said, "Hello, uh, Dan. I'm doing. Uh, I was doing. A, we were. We were thinking of doing an event in LA this year. No, it was last year. And we decided last minute we could pull it off for various uh, logistical reasons. But before that, she reached out to us and uh, asking us if we be interested in considering her film for uh, for our festival." And I did. I saw the whole feature and I fell in love with it. So it was a great film, great, uh, very entertaining. There's been a lot of documentaries on time travel, but it's really made it very interesting, very uh, down to earth and, uh, and very understandable even to those who don't say, really know. It,
0: it, it's, th- this is the kind of documentary where it's not some uh, well, to use a phrase I should never use when talking about PKD, it's not some man in a high castle talking down at you. Uh, <laughs>
1: When no. It is in yeah,
0: fact, he's talking at your level, making uh, an understanding of what he means by time travel, how it actually works, uh, what it means to our perception of time and space. I mean, it's it's just a wonderful piece of work.
1: Absolutely, and I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing from uh, Dr. Malla his newest developments. My understanding is that he, there's, uh, there are currently two producers who are interested in, uh, that options his uh, life story, and uh, they may be making a movie, a feature movie, a few years down the line, based on him and his research, which is very exciting.
0: That's terrifically insi- exciting. Uh, also, on Sunday, you've got uh, a series that starts with... Uh, an afternoon of international short films, uh, nine nine films running between two and four, and then at 4.30, and again at 6.30, you're running two features back-to-back. That's right. Now, the 4.30 feature, I don't know much about.
1: Uh, Which which one? Anya. uh, Oh, Anya, okay.
0: By Carolina Taylor and uh, Jacob Akira Okada. Uh, (laughs) And I did a little bit of reading up on it And it sounds like one of those uh, uh, One of those things that we're in the middle of
1: Right now with the coronavirus Uh, (laughs) That's that's right Um, It's something that could very well be happening Uh, Basically it's about the possibility of a Parallel uh, line of evolution that It might exist within us. I mean, after all, we uh, there's still some issues of how we, we descend this one specific branch of the, of the tree or the multiple branches, you really don't know. And uh, but but primarily, the result of the various uh uh technologies in genetic engineering, more and more people to are able to find out what their DNA is made out of. That is, what where, where did they originally come from? What are their ancestry? So, I wouldn't be surprised that in the near future we find other certain groups that are not Homo erectus, Homo erectus sapiens, or Homo sapiens sapiens. It might be Homo sapiens uh, something else, slightly different.
2: Um, uh,
0: You know, this this has been one of the, uh, in, in the past 10 years, one of the tropes in science fiction movies of the next step on the evolutionary scale and how it. How it responds to the previous version, and how the previous version responds to it. Right. Uh, right. It's it looks really really interesting, but I got to tell you that the uh, the six thirty film falls right into my wheelhouse uh, as as uh, the guy who will sit and just eat up flying saucer stuff.
2: Mm, and, and, yeah.
0: and Area 51 and anything having to do... I mean, we've had so many disparate people on our show over the years who are uh, debunkers, who are staunch believers, uh, who are, are are scientists, who, who have what they believe is enough proof to believe in what's going on. And uh, the feature presentation is called Magic, which is based on uh, the Majestic 12 report uh, in some respects, uh, which is directed by Aaron Barry. And uh, the, the director and uh, the producer and co-writer and one of the main actresses from the movie, are all going to be in the Q&A afterwards.
1: Yes, Patrick, it's definitely, uh, I, I don't think there's a year without us having some sort of UFO uh, theme, uh, Because like, I'm very close to my own personal uh, likes. And, uh, um, and this is one year, again, this is an issue where we were approached by the filmmaker. And um, it's a very interesting take because you're really not sure whether or not It's a conspiracy. Uh, Oh, it is real.
0: There's never enough good conspiracy theories around. I've always been a firm believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. About how many films did you see this year in order to narrow it down to four days' worth of entertainment?
1: Well, uh, the the way our selection process works is we have a group of uh, judges programmer, programmer judge. have been with us since the beginning. Pretty much, we pretty much share the same um, the same kind of philosophy and the same values. So uh, they very much, they see, we, I get a list of semi-finalists, which sometimes is close to what, about 100, maybe like 10% of the total amount. And then I actually get to, I, I end up watching every single one of those films.
0: Well, the interesting thing is this has been Kind of your dream and your your vision throughout the whole process of putting this together. So I mean, it only makes sense that you know you get to sit there and kind of look at them all.
1: Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's uh, I mean, although I do value my programmers and I do think that they're all great. Uh, you know, that each one of them has slight different value systems. So I want to make sure it's is well balanced. Sure. You know. Uh there's a nice balance of values there uh that are uh represented in the film. Then, you know, and uh so in general that, that formula has worked really well because I think the people come to our festival and uh, they're all very happy with the uh curating and uh type of films. And this year especially true. I mean, uh we really I would say we I think we have about thirty eight, thirty nine films. And we received close to more than a thousand. So uh, wow. usually we're we're usually able to program twice as many, but again because of time and space limitations, uh, because we want to do everything at at MoMA, that was part of our goal this year. Uh, there are only thirty seven, thirty eight films, right. but the uh, but the one thing you get as a result is that each one it's really good in its own way. It, it's it's uh, it has a special a special appeal. Other than uh, the cinematography is beautiful, the dialogue is fantastic, the the acting there's something there really special. So anyone who comes to any uh, of our blocks will be very happy to have attended because uh, unlike a lot of programming in today's world, like TV and uh, theater, this there's no filler here.
0: Well, the other thing so. too is that you you're taking, I mean, you're starting off on Wednesday. With a film from Uganda. Right. And, I mean, that's taking a risk because you're starting with a foreign film. And not only that, you're also also on Sunday, uh, opening the Sunday session with uh, your short films are all international on your two to four block. So, I mean, you... You've done a lot of work in bringing various uh, aspects of dystopian view, the PKD view, from all around the world into this festival. Uh, how much? How much of the information uh, do you get from outside the U.S.? How many films do you think, uh, percentage wise?
1: Well, the U.S. still represents the the lion's share of the films we get. Uh, but followed by uh, UK. Uh, and then after that, we have, it depends on the year, we'll have France uh, or Germany.
0: But I mean, have um, you seen more of them
1: coming in lately as the festival's gone I'm, on? Oh, well, absolutely. Especially more features. Uh, definitely shorts and features. We're getting... I'm really happy to say that this is the first time we have a film from every continent, and not, of course, including Antarctica here. <laughs> but uh, maybe next year, about uh, everyone, which is great. You know, from Africa to South America, and, you know, uh, Europe, um, Asia, China, Australia. I mean, everywhere. So That's Iceland, wonderful. and and, uh, and it goes to show that the uh, there's a universal. Themes in in science fiction that can possibly unite, uh, you know, different different disparate opinions and cultures, you know. Um, and I always thought that science fiction is really the science of tomorrow. There are so many products, starting let's say with the Dick Tracy watch that was back then, and now it's something that we, you know, people just becomes one was blasé. Oh, you got a what? You got one of those Apple watches? Oh, okay, that's cool. Move on. So, uh. It opens the doors to the imagination, and uh, which was unfortunately not the case back in the seventies when Phil, the way it was seen. Uh, back when Philip Dick wrote, he at that time you still felt that popular uh, popular culture regarded science fiction is kind of pulp and a uh, second tier, but not anymore. I think uh, a lot of people regard science fiction as a high, as a high level level of literature, at par with other dramatic pieces. Well, it not not only yeah.
0: absolutely is, but it's also become kind of a, ah, um. And I can't remember the writer who said it, but um, I think it was Ben Bova actually, who said that science fiction is history that's yet to be. Right. And uh, that's right. You know, if you if you look at things like, you know, the the. The communicator on Star Trek, and you look at your iPhone, and you go, "Yeah, that's it."
1: <laughs> what about the the universal translator? Not we not. Sure. At least we have the, the Google, which it's, we're getting there. At least the the Earth translator, not necessarily universal, but So yeah, it does follow certain patterns, and um, I do like. it. That's why I like stories like uh, Doctor Mallets because. Here's a man who after having his father, i seeing actually seen his father pass away from a heart attack at the age of 37 or 39. He found solace in science fiction and eventually started pursuing this dream of his, of building a time machine that would enable him to go back and warn his father about his impending heart attack. Mm-hmm. And having given up on that dream after he reached uh, you know, adulthood, he picked it up again once he became a tenure professor at UConn, and now he's really, the theory seems to support a possibility that uh, someday we'll be able to at least send particles back in time. and Not necessarily uh, people, but particles. And, but the more interesting question which I raised with, to him, which is this, is it possible that we could have communication with a parallel universe based upon the science that you've created? If, if there is a parallel universe, we might be able to communicate with it using these machines,
0: and of course, Schrodinger talked about that decades ago. You know uh, how parallel universes move,
1: right? And so there is definitely a uh, some some interesting uh, possibilities that can be explored as a result of this work, and and I'm really excited to be part of that. And um, just like in some of the films that we're showing at the festival, deal with the, the emergence of CRISPR technology. Right which is holds promise and the uh, uh, it holds specifically certain kinds of genetic diseases, but there are also certain implications at the ethical level, and these are being explored by some of the shorts that are uh, that we'll be presenting. So um, the kind of science fiction that people will come to see at our festival is like near future science fiction, not something taking place in the year 10, 000, 18, you
2: know, but it's something
1: taking place around the corner. There's one that five, you, 10, 20 years from now.
2: There's one that you have coming up. I'm, I'm actually looking at the Philip K. Dick shorts, um, and there's some great ones on here. But one right at the very bottom, hashtag, sounds this is very much near future. Um, the, the, the description, in a looming future where social media celebrities dominate our culture, X is the right. world's supreme online icon. But how far will she go to hold on to her popularity? That mm. could happen five minutes from now. I mean, I don't exactly. know the full, the full yeah. movie, but that description could happen next week.
1: Sure, so. sure that 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 could seem to, uh, yeah, that could very well happen because I don't think there is. It's almost an insatiable desire to be part of this social, uh, this social uh, construct that's created by the celebrity culture, and. Oh, yes. uh, could very well happen, yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely, that's the difference. I mean, almost like uh, science fiction is almost a test, like a beta run on what's going to happen, uh, say, 5, 10, 15 years from now. and how it will impact your humanity. So, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, in a way, sort of seeing what's going to happen and we're getting used to that. Right? It was just something we want to be part of. So
0: well, I think whether we want to be a part of it or not, we're kind of stuck with it. So we have to figure out how to deal with it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, part of the, say, certain discussions, and, uh, for instance, and the issue of the emergence of AI, whether we've had documentaries in the past, whether we can find a way to program um, ethics or program morality into a computer. And there's been some talk about that. And it's better to think about that before we actually create or or design an AI system that starts, you know, deciding for itself what's what's good and what's not. So uh, there is definitely some space for the dialogue that we could, you know, uh, uh, input that we can put in. At the end of the day, technology will run its own, you know, it will run away from us because it's happening all the time. But we need to, like, you know, perhaps tighten the leash a little bit see what the implications will be. Uh, for instance, we've had shorts on face recognition technology, and uh, sure enough, now that's being used in England, it's being used in some parts of the U.S., so by law enforcement agencies. So we're getting closer and closer to that kind of world that was pretty much discussed and say, uh, uh, what was that? Not that scanner dark, it the other one, might not read the report.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: So, this is why Pete, uh, Philip K. Dick is so relevant today, and continues to be, because more than the other science fiction writers, his science fiction is what they want about, let's go and explore uh, other planets and see the, no, it's about what's happening here, generally. So, and maybe he'll have a moon base, but it was generally what's going to to us. You know? So,
0: when was it <clears throat> that <laughs> Philip Dick got into your head?
1: <laughs> uh well, you know it's so funny uh I would say that i've always there' been two names that even when I was growing up, my teens kind of drew me because the very, there's something about the names that I always feel a name always embodies something beyond the name right there were two names: American authors, one of was uh, P k d, Philip K. Dick, and the other one was uh H P. Lovecraft.
2: Mm, yeah, and,
1: and before I even read anything about these people, I thought there was something uh, esoteric, esoteric about. Them. And sure enough, uh, it, it with PKD started out. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. After I had read a review by a friend of his, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, who compared uh, Philip K. Dick to uh, Jorge Luis Borges, our own Jorge Luis Borges. And for those who are not familiar with Borges. For um, his was a philosopher slash novelist who's known for his uh, work on magical realism and uh, very was able to embed many philosophical ideas into his uh, literature. Likewise, so did Philip K. Dick. So she thought that here's our own home homegrown Borges. So the minute I read that, I started reading everything from his mo- his latest work backwards. So I started with Valis and the Divine Invasion and the Transmigration migration of Timothy Archer. Uh, then I started reading uh, older and older, you know, going back to, let's say, Man of the High Castle. So I started working backwards rather than from the 50s to the more recent, but from the more recent back to the 50s. It's
0: a, it's interesting to try and figure out <clears throat> when uh, when a specific writer... Actually, connects with you. I've had, you know, science fiction writers who I have connected with at various times uh, in my own life. And I was in my mid 20s when uh, Philip Dick kind of connected in with me. And uh, in my 30s when uh, Spider Robinson connected with me, that kind of thing. You know, so. It's it's always interesting to see where in your life that connection occurred. Um.
1: Well, you know it, I had I had directed a movie, a feature film um, back in twenty two thousand and four and dealt with parallel realities. so what's real and what's not what's real what is is it dream reality, but in a different universe? and then that that was one of other thing that really got me when I started reading Philip K. Dick, that he definitely explored these ideas. What is real? What is not? What is in nature? Are there multiple universes? And so forth. And um, I felt that that pretty much resonated with a lot of themes that I've been uh, thinking about and and as a result of my work in in sciences earlier. And he definitely had the finger in the pulse, you know. Um, So here we are uh, many, many years later on our eighth season, <laughs> uh, that's still, still running, running strong. I mean, it's running love it. strong and it, and it gets bigger and
0: more robust and more inclusive with every single version. Um, I'm, I'm blown away by who and what is involved in this. I'm blown away by your boundless enthusiasm and energy uh, Lord knows you've got to sleep for a couple of weeks when the festival's
1: over because well, yeah, it, you it,
0: kind it, of have to start all over again
1: that's right that's right You know, th- this year is a very interesting year too because we actually have had shorts that were, uh, for instance we had the a short that was uh, it's called Love Bite that was directed by the final restoration producer of Blade Runner, the final cut
0: oh wow right.
1: Uh, we have a short directed uh, by uh, one of the main uh, producers of the, the Lone Gunman, the spinoff of the X, uh, X-Files. Uh-huh. And he was also on Damien uh, and, and more recently in Mayans. Where it happens to star um, uh, Edward James Olmos. Uh, we also have another short from someone who's working very closely with Doctor Who, more in the UK bit. So, you know, I was really surprised that it really is resonating, really, even with people who have worked in other Philip K. Dick features or productions. Um, And of course, we have an independent uh, adaptation of one of his shorts. It's got Beyond the Door. This is by a woman, female director from Iceland.
2: That was the one I was wanting to talk about because I'm reading the description. (sighs) And it sounds like they may have tweaked it a little bit, but it sounds like it it cleaves pretty close to the uh, the original short story, which I always liked. Um, and that was one of those wonderful short stories where you never know quite where to place it. Is it science fiction? Is it fantasy? Is what's without giving away too much to anybody that hasn't read it. You know, right. it's, it's it's like what's going on in that story you never quite know. And that's what sci- really good science fiction and really good writers like Philip K. Dick do is they can they just kind of blur those lines that define science fiction and fantasy and just right in that blurry gray area. And they just do oh, it yeah. so well. And, so, and that's one right there I would love to have gotten a chance to see. But like Dome, I can't get there. So, but it's it's one of these amazing sounding films that that I just would love to see what the uh, what the director does with that book or that story. Yeah, we,
1: yes. I mean, Philip K. Dick actually, uh, because of, he wrote so quickly, and uh, mainly he was being paid by the penny uh, back in, the, in those days. Uh, his writing it, it, it's almost a stream of consciousness. It's not like uh, that. Some people have accused him of grammatical mistakes, run on sentences and so on. But in that case, what do they think of James Joyce? Right? Because, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, I remember reading Ubik, uh, first time. And honestly, yeah. I had to put it down after like 20 pages that my head was spinning. I said, well, this is science fiction, but it's something else going on. So eventually I started looking at the grammar or the, the way the words were being placed and the sequence. And I realized <clears> this guy is just like, a. this, this, uh, kind of a James Joyce to science fiction. You know, uh, at least at, with this, with the way he did uh, Ubik. I mean, it's like putting words behind each, uh, creating sentences that really didn't make much sense and you had to, it was hard to follow. And, it, and some people have criticized him not knowing that his work was very unconscious. It's a stream of consciousness. It was not like I'm going to pick one word very carefully to, no, it just came out. He basically had to run, you know, type very quickly. So he had these ideas to run out very fast and um, so what you see is, is not, what you're really experiencing is his uh, own unconscious, which I find very, very interesting.
0: And another th- interesting thing about he, his writing is <clears throat> he was not very fond of editing. Uh, right. <laughs> in fact, yeah. not, not only editors at the publishing house, he very rarely self-edited as well. He'd go back and read it and go, yeah, but he very rarely changed much of what he did.
2: And,
1: and perhaps that's all for the better. Because I think with editing, that's when the analytical side comes in. That's when we say, well, does this make sense to our logical analytical side? Uh, does this make sense to uh, grammatically? And sometimes it's a good idea if you're writing a certain kind of story, but if you're writing sci-fi and if you're really connecting with, you know, with this unconscious, then you know, maybe it's not a such a bad idea to leave it slightly rough. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We're just it is. His writing is rough. If it's compared compare that let's say to Heinlein or Asimov, which I, I remember reading the whole found the whole foundation uh, back in high school, Asimov, the foundation. Sure. And I love that. But that's very really scientific, very analytical, very mathematical. It's like bam, bang bam bang, bang. I could follow right away. Where K. King is a little bit more challenging, more nonlinear. And well, I think that was he might have intentionally and it's may also have the dis-
0: background. It's also the background that they brought to their writing. I mean, Asimov had seven or eight different degrees by the time he was, you know, really heavily into his writing. Heinlein uh, was on his third marriage. And, mm. you know, Dick lived alone. He was a loner. He was uh, kind of misanthropic to some degree. Yep. And, yep. oh, my God. What he was able to what he was able to put out was an unfiltered story based on what he wanted to bring.
1: Yes, I mean he actually had a, a deep connection, with maybe with his own, you know, whatever reservoir of wisdom or of information he had there. You know, right, so much of the stuff he's talking about right now, people are talking like it's like a really thing. Like, for instance, the idea that we live in a simulation. I mean, which even someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a friend of mine, we openly talking about Yeah, there's a possibility this is all a big simulation. And I remember back in the 1970s, when Philip K. Dick, uh, in 1977, you can catch that on YouTube, right? His uh, interview on Mets. And, uh, this was the only time, the only time he went to France. And, and and at that point, people are wondering, what is this guy on, or what is he? What has he been smoking, or something? But now he's like, uh, yeah, he's not. A, it's, it's just an alternative. One and many philosophers and scientists are considering that's a possibility. You no know, even though it sounds pretty bizarre to me, but that's part of uh, his legacy. Like what seemed strange back then, now is 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 more. Uh, taken as a, as a real possibility. And uh, that's really amazing. Think about it. It's like uh, everything from the Matrix, which is obviously influenced by his work. Um, so uh, he's had massive influence, and it's so unfortunate that he really passed away. You got to see a little bit of the impact of his writing on first cut of uh, Blade Runner. Um,
0: yeah, that is that is. But good
1: to man, but he never really got. And the same with H.P. Lovecraft, for that matter. I mean, he really there wasn't for. People that followed, uh, the same with uh, Philip K. Dick had a um, had a, a good friend of his, I can't remember him now, um, Williams, Paul Williams, I think. And he pretty much f- continued his legacy. And then afterwards, his, his daughters have maintained it, which is great. Right. So at least his daughters can benefit from his work. And at least from what father basically barely made any money while he was alive, you know, He's literally being paid by the, by the penny. Well, that's, that's the
0: unfortunate thing about art is that the true artists aren't doing it for the money. They're, they're doing it to make noise against the wind, to let somebody understand what it is, how they feel and think.
1: Well, he certainly made a lot of noise. He did. And, and continues to make noise. I mean, uh, <clears throat> so I'm really excited that his legacy is being uh, respected and, and, and moved forward.
0: If you're a fan of Philip K. Dick and you understand the the mode behind what it is he's writing, uh, this is a great festival for you. If you're not sure, this is a great way to kind of sample what the dystopian different views of the future are. And you don't have to go for all five days. You can sample a series of short films one afternoon. You can see some of the documentaries. I mean, this this is a festival for people who enjoy great science fiction, who enjoy being challenged by what it is they've read and what they're seeing on the screen. And Dan, thank you so much for joining us again tonight.
1: Thank you for having me. I mean, I, um, and sharing and spreading the word with uh, all your readers and uh, followers because I do think that this is a uh, Person, Philip K. Dickens, is certainly someone that we is uh, advised us strongly about the dangers. He wasn't a luddite. He didn't say we need to go back to the Stone Age. But he said, with technology comes certain responsibilities that we need to really address. And one of those is how do we deal with technology and still retain our humanity? And in his writings, he offers some possibilities. That there's the uh, uh, and there, there we have it.
0: The Philip K. Dick Film Festival takes place. It's in its eighth season, and it's coming up in the next couple of weeks. It starts on Wednesday, March 4th, and ends on Sunday, March 8th. All the information's on our website. Drop down if you can, uh, and uh, definitely enjoy it. We'd like to take a moment to let our New England listeners know that Northeast Comic Con is March 13th through 15th at the Boxborough Regency Hotel and Conference Center in Boxborough, Massachusetts. Say hi to Gary and tell him you heard about it from Sci Fi Saturday Night. See you there. Sci Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and by Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book for the rapidly approaching value-added tax day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is now available on Audible because I'm really not sure where else you could possibly find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just take a look at RobWattsOnline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts Sauce. Our outro music is provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on LawrenceMadeMeCry.com. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from the Air Mall Factory Center, the Sweetheart is the Soundboard Kriana, and Woman of Words Zombrarian. Thank you so much, ladies. And from his booking books, thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome Saying, Terry and Jeannie. Shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So unless it's daytime. Good
2: night, everybody. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.